Our second reading is from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 4. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Dean Miller, and I'm one of the pastors here, and let's pray together. Dear Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are honored that you would invite us to be with you and that you would make us a part of this family here locally in this particular church, but also a part of millions of men, women, and children who are worshiping you around the world. We pray that like them, we would lend our voices to giving you thanks and praise, and like them, we need your help and insight. We need to understand you, ourselves, the joy we have to live in the world with you, the mission we have, and so we ask you to guide and sit with us, teach us, instruct us, send us out with greater strength and courage because we came and worshiped you this morning. In your name, amen. Well, amen, and a welcome to all the women who are coming right from the women's retreat. We're so glad you came here to be a part of us. We've had our women's retreat here in town the last couple of days, so we're going to hear a little more about that during the announcements, but so glad to have you all here. And if you're a guest, we're really glad you're here. Um, we are in the middle of a series on our core values as a church, so this is a great way to get up to speed. If you're not a part of us, see, oh, what is this particular part of Jesus' family think of itself, know of itself? How do they seek to live in the world? Um, and I want to think for a second about uh, something you love that might not be a part of your core, like responsibilities, work, whatever, but if you had like a whole day to just give yourself to something, a side passion, what would it be? Um, one of mine is just watching, reading, learning more and more about soccer. Um, I watch it most weeks if I can. Uh, I read books about it. I particularly like to read books that talk about long-term teams that have done well, strategies behind a 30- or 40-year reign of a really good team. And I've read several books about Barcelona, the team that um, has dominated so much of soccer the last 20, 25 years. Um, I'm fascinated with Barcelona because of some of how they made some commitments in the 80s that have paid off and you see now. You know, if you know much about Barcelona, you know um, that way back in the 70s, they bought a player named Johan Cruyff, who was sort of the global superstar of his day. He was a Dutch player and a super iconoclastic, very uh, arrogant, frankly, uh, but really beautiful player. And he came to Barcelona and over probably 30 years really changed the whole culture of the club and how they played. Um, and he played there, and the way he played began to influence other players, and then he was a coach there for a long time, and they made a commitment, a strategic commitment, to in essence teach every one of their teams, from like U8 up to the first team, 
the same type of soccer. So let's say 10 of us were coaches in Barcelona. We would all be teaching the same thing, and it was the way Cruyff thought you should play. He felt like football, soccer should be a beautiful art to watch and be a part of. And he has this great sentence, playing football is simple, but playing simple is the hardest thing there is. Playing football is simple, but playing simple is the hardest thing there is. If you've ever coached, raise your hand if you've coached any rec sport, not just soccer. And those things you're trying to teach them seem simple, right? Like football, catch the ball, simple. Throw the ball, right? Basketball, pass the ball. Soccer, pass the ball, catch the ball, shoot the ball, right? Simple. But of course, playing simple is the hardest thing there is. So Barcelona began to teach everybody the same simple things over and over, and it was this dedication to being a selfless team that played quick, sharp passes in confined spaces. Receive the ball, pass the ball. Receive the ball, pass the ball. There's a great movie on Netflix that's, in essence, that's the title. Receive the ball, pass the ball. Boom, boom, boom. One touch. And exemplified in this practice game that lots of you have probably seen if you've been to a game or been a part of a team called the Rondo, which is six, seven, eight, ten people in a circle with a couple people in the middle. And what are they doing? Receiving the ball, passing the ball, quick, 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 quick passes. You can go online and look up the best uh, they call it tiki taka is one way they describe Barcelona soccer. The best tiki taka goals. And they showed this is the practice thing they did. And then they take it and they break down the geometry of how it worked in a game. Simple, hard. Now, they're not the only soccer team in the world. They're not the only ones winning. It's not the only way people play soccer. But if you watch soccer in the 80s, like I often did, and that when there was a lot of goal, goalies kicking balls 80 yards, hoping really tall guys would get the ball. And now you see what's being played, literally as I'm speaking right now, around the world, you'll realize, oh my gosh, this has taken over the world. And once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. This is how they play. They've taught this beautiful simplicity and power that has spread. And today in our, our core values, we're going to look at something so fundamental to who we are that it's like Barcelona's skill set. It's simple but profound. It's super important. And it's something I'm really excited to share as we look at what it means for us to be an Anglican mission. Before we do that, can we do a little review of what our four things are and where we've been? It's over my shoulder. Let's just say it out loud. If nothing else at the end of this series, you will know this phrase, right? Christ Church Vienna is a gospel-driven, externally focused, extended family Anglican mission for Vienna. And I said last week, this is a theologically pregnant phrase. And today, again, we look at what it means to be an Anglican mission. Raise your hand if you grew up at all in any sort of Anglican context, maybe the Episcopal Church in the U.S. or the Anglican Church other places. Let's say 15 to 20% of us, if that. That means the rest of us are trying to get up to speed, right? And I love being Anglican. I mean, look, I'm professional. I'm a professional Anglican. But I'd be one anyway even if I wasn't getting paid as a clergy. It's been vital to my spiritual growth. And I think being Anglican has a particular spiritual relevance to the time in church history and world history we live in. But I am not gonna cover all that this morning because we don't have enough time. <laughs> but you can consider this sermon a trailer for later this spring in March or April. We're working on the dates. We'll have two Sundays after church where if you're just interested in what it means more to be Anglican, or you're particularly interested in what it might look like to be confirmed in the Anglican church, 
Set aside time to come and join us there, and I'll unpack some of these other things. I'll talk about what we talked about this morning some, but I'll share a little broader sense of what it means to be Anglican, Anglican church history, what I love. But again, we don't have time to do all that. So today we're just gonna look at what's it mean for us to be Anglican. What do we take seriously because we're an Anglican mission as a church? First and foremost, again, we are Christians. The people you most often hear preach are myself and Johnny Christina. We would tell you our first thing is we are Christians. But then we are a particular type. We are Anglican Christians. And there are other great churches that are not Anglican. I have lots of friends who are part of other great churches around North America. But again, we're a particular type of church with particular types of things we take seriously. The first thing we take seriously is God's pursuit of us. God's pursuit of us. Our life with God begins with God. We've stressed that every one of the sermons in this series. That is a Christian belief, but it's a particularly very Anglican belief. Anglicanism was born as one of the logs on the fire of renewal and restoration in the global church during the Reformation in the 16th century. Lutherans, Presbyterians, Anglicans, all those movements, admittedly started by men and women who were finite and sinners, who had some shades of, oh, maybe we wouldn't be like that or do that. But all those movements were fueled by a conviction that God is revealing himself and pursuing humanity in Jesus. You just heard it in our creed. For us and for our salvation, he came down. Lutherans, Presbyterians, Anglicans, God is pursuing his people. Part of those people, or not part, but one of the drives of those people was the established church at the time in the 16th century was distancing, they felt. The practices, the habits, wasn't bringing people near to God in his pursuit, but was distancing humanity from God. Distancing women, children, men, rather than bringing them near. And that's in sharp contrast to what you just heard read in Hebrews 4. Draw near to God. Approach God. And so the Anglican church decided they're gonna be committed to that belief. We're not gonna distance. We're gonna need to change. We're gonna need to adapt. They believed to bring a renewal to the life of the church, particularly in England and then around the world. This phrase from Hebrews 4 is really one of the more astounding invitations in the entire Bible. It's an exhortation. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. This is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Alpha and the Omega, the creator and redeemer of the entire world, saying, draw near to me. Maybe sometime this week you did something or a part of something you thought, I bet God would not want me near him right now. Maybe you felt shame or guilt. The writer of Hebrews, the Reformation, the Anglican church would say, that's wrong. Draw near. God is pursuing you. He's already taken the initiative. You're not having to get his attention or try to convince him whether he wants to be near you. This, again, is the doctrine of revelation, which we've touched on some before. God is revealing himself to us in his creation and his word. He wants to be known by all people. It's one of the other convictions of the Reformation, not just clergy, not just professional Anglicans, but every Anglican, men, women, and children, from the cobbler to the nurse to the teacher, probably not many cobblers here, 
Don't just approach. But then it, Hebrews reminds us to build intimacy. Again, Alpha and Omega on the throne, creator and redeemer of the world says, come near and draw intimacy, build intimacy with me. This is Matthew Henry commenting on Hebrews 4. Jesus is not only a great but a gracious high priest, merciful, compassionate, and sympathizing with his people. Though he is so great and so far above us, yet he is very kind and tenderly concerned for us. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities in such a manner as no one else can be. Again, if we had time, would we, would we take time and we'd go around and say, who, who here this morning has an infirmity? A place where you need Jesus to be kind. He wants to be. He's a high priest who has been an incarnated human on earth. He knows what it's like. For he himself was tried with all the afflictions and troubles that are incident to our nature in its fallen state. He is saying to you, I understand. Are you lonely, ignored, opposed, anxious? Do you feel like the world's turned against you? I get it, and I am inclined to kindness for you. If Anglicanism has a booster rocket, this is what it is. God wants to save and draw humanity to himself. This gets us off the ground and into space. This is what we believe. This is our rondo, the skill that Barcelona does every practice. It's the core and root of our simplicity. God loves and pursues us. So being an Anglican mission, an Anglican church, means we will do everything in our power to communicate that truth. You'll see it in lots of places when you're part of our community and our worship. One very simple way is in this book we use to guide our worship. You heard Rhonda say we're reading from the Book of Common Prayer. This is our Order of Worship and Belief, the Book of Common Prayer. Many of you are familiar with this book. It's a common prayer book because it was put into the common language, because it was put in English instead of Latin, because we want you to know God loves you and is pursuing you. Not again just the clergy, but all of you. It's simple, but it's profound. Second thing, for us, being an Anglican mission means we take God's word, the Bible, seriously. Again, you hear this in Hebrews 4. We believe the Bible is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's inspired and crafted and given to us as God's word, speaking to you. We treasure it. If God's heart pursuit of us is our rondo, the skill, then the Bible is our ball. It's what we use and chew on. If you played for Barcelona, they would hand you a ball and say, get to know this ball. Kick it, juggle it, shoot it, make it one with your foot. It should be attached to your foot. And Anglicans believe that God's word should be attached to your heart and your mind. Know it, study it, read it, memorize it, share it. Meditate on it. The Hebrew word for meditate in the Psalms is really supposed to be seen as like a dog chewing on a bone. We give our, bone most, our dog most Christmases a big bone and he chews on it until we take it away. He never gets tired of it. He'll understand the contours, the edges. It'll get smaller. He doesn't care. He's still going at it. We finally usually take it away from him mid-afternoon because he's in a salt coma. 
and he's laying on the ground just drinking water. But if we put it back down, he'd pick it right back up and meditate on it some more. That's how you and I are supposed to engage and love the Bible and God's word. The entire Anglican faith faith is based on God's word. Fully 85% of the Book of Common Prayer is the Bible, 85%. Many of you know of an Anglican scholar named J.I. Packer. He once said the Book of Common Prayer is the Bible arranged for worship. If you took the Bible and arranged it for worship, there's the Book of Common Prayer. I had us read Psalm 95 because that's often a call to worship in an Anglican service. Many of you may have heard that in a service and not known that's where it came from. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. That's Psalm 95. Hebrews reminds us the word of God is living and active, sharp and piercing. It removes those things like a, like a surgeon that get in the way of health. So we place priority on knowing God's word. It means something to us as an Anglican mission. And again, that was another spark in the Reformation, not just for Anglicans, but for Lutherans and Presbyterians. And it continues to be a prime conviction of the Christian church around the world, lots of kinds of churches. But we want men, women, and children to know and meet with God by being able to be in God's word. I lead a small group on Tuesday mornings, and we went around this week and shared a bit of our favorite passages that we have. And almost without fail as we ran around, not on purpose, we began, you would hear, well, when I was in high school, da, 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 da. Oh, I, when I was in high school, da, 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 da. my junior year of high school, da, and I, it was so striking to hear, oh, at some point God had, had touched all the hearts of the men around the table about when they were in high school, which was so great. Which means that we've been at this, a lot of us, for 30 years, or more or less, without outing anybody's ages. Some of you might know who the men who are there, and you might be like, 30 years, and this is all we got. Come on, you need to let's pick it up a little bit. But nevertheless, for decades, these men have been deep studying God's word because we think it's so important. It will tell you that God loves you and teach you to tell God about your life and love back to him. We're gonna be in this particular book this spring for small groups. We've been saying last couple weeks, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. This particular edition has several different introductions, all of which are super rich. And this is one of the things Foster says about spiritual disciplines and the Bible. One thing, however, will always be central to our exercise of the spiritual disciplines. Holy Scripture. We read Scripture, studying Scripture, meditating upon Scripture, memorizing Scripture. Foster's basically saying we treat Scripture like a really good bone. And that's what Anglicans do. Because it's living and it's active. God in the Bible is talking to us and teaching us to talk to him and to pray. That's what prayer is, and we learn that vocabulary. If you're not sure how to talk to God, go to the Psalms. The Psalms will teach you how to talk to God. How many of you have ever seen the movie Gravity with Sandra Bullock? Okay, right, she's an astronaut, and the, lots of bad things happen. I'm sorry if you haven't seen it. I'm gonna give away a lot of what happens. But it's been out a while. It's, it's probably on you, not me. Um, but bad things happen, and her, she has to go and get on a spaceship. She's trying to get back to Earth. And at one point of the movie, it doesn't look like she's gonna make it, remember? And she, her communication's out, and she begins to play with some knobs, and she hears someone speaking a language not of her own who is praying. And she begins to, to just give up hope, and she's basically gonna die on the spaceship is what she's decided. And she asks the guy who's praying, who doesn't understand English, would he pray for her? Because she says this very tragic line, no one ever taught me how to pray. No one ever taught me how to pray. 
No one taught me how to develop intimacy. No one taught me how to draw near with God who wants me to draw near to him. And our Anglican vow is we will never let that happen. We will never let that happen. We teach you every week from God's own word how to pray. Again, one of the highlights to me every week of our communion service, part of the service's communion, is hearing kids speak loudly the Lord's Prayer back. I'm sorry you can't stand up here and hear the cascade, but it's so beautiful. God wants to know you. God gives us the Bible so you can know him and speak to him and develop intimacy with him. We're not just memorizing great quotes from a speaker when we read the Bible. We're developing intimacy with God. So we take seriously God's pursuit of us. We take seriously God's word. What else do we take seriously as an Anglican mission? Third is Anglicans, we take seriously the calendar. God wants to know and be with and guide you not just on Sunday, but an entire 24-7 and 365-day life. Again, this quote from Johann Cruyff, playing football is simple, but playing simple is the hardest thing there is. Believing God loves you is simple. God loves you. I'm not using big words to tell you that. But living into that love day by day, I would argue, is the hardest thing there is. I believe and can tell you, God loves you. And God loves me, but, but learning how to live that way and it affect every part of my being day by day, that's super hard. But Anglicans are committed to learn because God's committed to be with us in those 365 days. We should make t-shirts, God and Anglicans, 24-7 before the iPhone. Because as you read through the Book of Common Prayer and you hear our theology, you realize that's part of what drove the Reformation as well, the belief that men, women, and children could be with God, know a thriving life with God, live for God, not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday as well. Three particular ways we stress this belief. First is through the sacraments. We celebrate two sacraments, communion and baptism. One way to understand the sacraments is it's, it's the everyday, water, bread, wine, grapes from the wine. It's the everyday made holy. Simple elements, the everyday made holy. So the sacraments are not some ceremony to remove us from life, but to strengthen us for this life. I prayed it from before we began this sermon. One of my favorite prayers is the one we used to pray often at the end of worship was grant us strength and courage to love and serve you. I love that honest implication that leaving church means you will need strength and courage, and so will I. The sacraments grant us, pull us in, in a new way to Jesus' feast, his life, and he sends us out into the everyday. Second way is the daily commitment we have. We have hours to pray. You know, there used to be seven hours set aside for prayer if you were a, uh, a monk or a nun. And what Anglicans did was take, no, we're gonna create four different hours and quick services, brief services of prayer throughout a day. So you might be a part of morning prayer or noonday prayer, or evening prayer, compline. All of these around this God is with you, pursuing you and walking with you the entire scope of your life. There's no separate sacred or secular belief in an Anglican communion. There's no heavenly earth divide other than it's, we're not in heaven yet, but God's in all those places. The third way we live out this commitment, taking this seriously, is through our annual calendar, which is informed and guided by the work of Jesus. Lots of ways you could craft a calendar, right? You could craft the soccer calendar around the Premier League as a league. You could craft 
a rugby calendar or a when the great sales calendar or the school calendar. We craft our calendar around the work of Jesus in the world. Advent, Epiphany, or wait, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Pentecost, ordinary time, and then back around again. We are in God's story. And because we take seriously the work of Jesus, we allow it to craft our understanding of every week, every month, the entire year. A couple implications of this belief are pretty beautiful and some of the primary reasons that I love being Anglican. One is that being Anglican means at work that all seven days of the week really matter. We have particular prayers called rogation prayers for work in the Book of Common Prayer. To remind you, you are sent out into the work you're gonna do this week as God's craftsman or craftswoman. I'm going out as a king, for the king, excuse me, a representative of the king to do my work. So that means that school matters. That means that your emails matter. Did you know that emails are not a result of the fall? Emails matter, a means of living out your life with Jesus. Your commutes matter. Rec sports matter. Building Legos matter. God is inviting you to draw near to him all day, all week, all year. Approach him with confidence because not only does he love you, he sympathizes with what it's like to be on earth working. Jesus was a carpenter. It means he had to deal with unruly clients. I doubt everybody who came to Jesus was like super gracious and nice. He had to measure things. He probably hit his thumb occasionally with a hammer. Maybe the wood didn't work the way he wanted. I bet he sweated. He had to get, do billing. Maybe people didn't pay him on time. That's what I want. People want to find the Holy Grail of the community. I want a chair Jesus made. But it still looks great, right? There's no way Jesus made a terrible chair. Being Anglican means that work matters. It also means, the other implication is that your entire range of life experience in that seven-day week, 365-day year matters. All your emotions matter. When you're joyful before God, you can draw near. When you're discouraged, you can draw near. When you're loving, you can draw near. When you're mean, you can draw near. When you're excited, you can draw near, sad, lonely, depressed. We believe it all comes to the Lord. Some of our seasons, we're about to start Lent, are actually seasons for penitence and discouragement or loneliness, if that's what you're feeling. We give honor and sacredness to it and say, take that to God too. It means you can come here and be quiet or loud or still or soft. We often have you stand, but I know all of us who help lead worship Really, if you want to sit during worship because that's where you are and all you can do is get here, that's great. When I was in seminary, I used to go to Sunday night worship at this little Anglican church in Vancouver. There were about seven of us there. I would sit as far back as I could in the sanctuary and just be still because I was in dealing with sacred things all week long. I just needed some place to be quiet. We honor those emotions. Again, we have Ash Wednesday, we have Lent, these seasons where we realize sometimes life is hard. One of the churches in our diocese during Christmas season has a service I love called Blue Christmas. And it's for people who don't enter into the holidays with joy, but they're often very hard or discouraging. And so they have a whole service dedicated to worshiping God, but being a present to those emotions before God during the run-up to Christmas. I love that. Many of you have been a part of vigils on Saturdays, Holy Saturday between Good Friday and Easter, which honored that sort of experience as well. 
We take the calendar seriously. Fourth and last, as Anglicans, we take our place seriously, which speaks particularly to our mission. And this is a great place to segue because Johnny's going to dive even deeper into this next week. But what we believe is that this world matters. This world that God has created is utterly important, not just to Jesus, but to us. When we have been placed in church history and where we have been placed, our neighborhoods, our work, our families, we take seriously living here for him. Again, we are not just internally committed as a family, but externally focused, sent by Jesus. We even have special words as Anglicans. And again, there isn't just Anglican churches that use this, but we're a, we, we, you'll hear us sometimes say we're a parish, which is just an Anglican way of saying we're a church. But there's a particular geographic focus to a parish historically in the Church of England around England. You might hear some churches uh, in England or other places around the world called a minster, which is where there's sort of a hub and a spoke, a sort of a focused church where people are sent and tasked to live for God in the world around the spoke. It's a great church in England between London and Oxford called Latimer Minster, and they gather together in a tent. Actually, have donkeys at the church for the kids. Maybe we could, I don't know, probably not. Uh, there's a river too far, and donkeys are a river too far. But a minster, that's another way. Then, of course, there's a diocese, which is a collection of churches gathered around. There's churches all over northern Virginia right now, meeting in Maryland and some in West Virginia that are gathered together, committed to each other, and praying for common mission in this way. And again, Johnny will pick this up and carry it on farther. What it means to be Vienna. What does he mean? What does our church mean when we say in Vienna? But we do take place seriously. We are not here just sailing along, hunkered down, hoping we can make it. We're not here just defending. Someone I was with recently said, we're, we're trying to help people defend the faith. It's a great phrase, and we want to be able to defend the faith, but try, try, to, try to describe that with your body without putting your fists up. Show me a physical representation of defending that isn't this. I, I think it's impossible. But we aren't, we aren't just defending. We want to defend the good news for sure. We want to, I don't even want to say argue, but we do want to argue for the truth because we believe it. But we're also out, we're asked to take ground. Jesus is sending us into the world to share good news to reach people who do not know him. We're a mission. We're not just hunkered up, huddled together. Again, it's simple, but it's profound. Living it out is the hardest thing to do. That's why we do it together. So I just want to close by asking you to think about, by being Anglican, to think about as you draw near, if you're going to draw near now with God, Think about your week. We take the calendar seriously. And is there a place this week where you particularly can taste your own infirmity? Could be a meeting, a test, an interview. There's nothing anyone faces in this room this week that is insignificant to Jesus. I don't care how old you are. There's nothing. In a second, I'm gonna pray for you and I'm gonna ask you just to offer that to God. Dear Jesus, I'm in trust drawing near to you and inviting you into that thing, that time, that place, that relationship. You who can sympathize with what it's like, will you be with me and near me this week? Let's pray.
Dear Father, thank you so much for these simple verses from the writer of Hebrews that are so often quoted because they're just so profound. You are not a high priest that's removed. You are one who sympathizes with our weakness. As Matthew Henry says, you come and, and desire to extend kindness and understanding to us, and we can draw near with confidence to you. We don't have enough words to describe how astounding that is. But we so long for it to be true this week. Lord, we lift up the things that we may have faced this week. I think, can think of deadlines or responsibilities I might have. I'm sure others here have those as well. Or relationships that are really difficult or trying to untie or figure out. Maybe a work situation. Lord, we don't just offer up ourselves, but as an extended family, we offer up each other, the person on our right and on our left. Whether we know them or not, we offer them to you, that they too would know you are near to them in a profound way this week. In your holy name, we offer these things. Amen. Hey!